This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. And if you've listened to the show for years, consider a donation. Your financial support is huge to us. In fact, I can't think of a donation to anywhere that would be more appreciated than what it will be to us. We'll send you a handwritten thank you note. And in addition to helping us pay hosting fees and other bills, your support will help us grow the show, which is absolutely the key to this program continuing in the years to come. So if you love it, if we make your life a little better, please pay whatever you can to support the art that you enjoy. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop and click the donate button. Or tweet us at bittersweetpod and we'll send you a link. Thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week as we continue our journey with my sisters from Sisterfest 2019 when we all convened in Palm Desert, California to spend some quality time together. Now, if you haven't listened to last week's show, episode 242, go back and listen to that first so you're caught up on who everybody is. I'm the youngest of three sisters. Dana's the oldest, Sarah's the middle, and then there's me, your humble host, Katie Sewell. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and we're going to jump right back into the conversation. And again, if you haven't yet listened to episode 242, listen to that one first. Here we go. So Dana, you mentioned that you have a special needs child your oldest child, special needs, and Evan, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Evan, whoop, 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 and I think that a lot of people, when they're trying to figure out if they can make a jump to a, a new city a di- or a different place or a different country, the more things that they have in their life that feel like it's hooking them down, the less likely they are to go. I mean, even a good job can be the, the hook, the tether that keeps you somewhere. And people would definitely assume that if you have a special needs child, that that would be the ultimate hook. Like all of a sudden you you really do need to stay where things are consistent for him or things are affordable or whatever, <laughs> like good services. So tell us, how do you do it? I think each family's situation is so specific to their particular child and their particular situation. My son, who's now 15 and a freshman in high school, is high functioning on the autism spectrum is what how we say it. And what I think has been really good for him, one of the characteristics that's, that matches a lot of autistic people, although autistic people are very diverse, 
in sort of who they are as people is that they tend to like structure and routine. And uh, early on in Evan's life, I started noticing that he could handle his particular personality, could handle things that were not always in a routine. He liked routine, but he could also process and move beyond things that were in the regular routine. And so when we would travel, he would still be okay, you know, to go and visit family and friends or if we used different stuff that wasn't his own stuff at home, for instance, to eat on or something like that, he, he could process it and be okay. And so we had a, a move when he was two and a half years old. We actually, he moved, gosh, we have two big moves. So um, we had two big moves within the first five years of his life to totally different cities and with new speech therapists and new occupational therapists and new classes and things like that, even though he was so small. And each time it seemed to open up for him some new window of experience. He would take the experience of moving and of trying new stuff and it made him kind of leap ahead in his own developments of things. And I think had that been different, if he had really closed down, shut down and really had a hard time processing, I would not have continued to feel comfortable moving. But because every time he seemed to blossom or become more capable of handling things and being able to talk about how he liked the new things of the new town, he also just has a really positive attitude all the time. That stopped me from allowing his education or his therapist to hold us back into one place. I will also say there's lots of really talented people in a lot of different places. And although I loved the various people that helped him on his educational journey everywhere we went when we moved and I would be concerned about finding more people, you can always find good people. And if, if you haven't made a good connection that is not a good match, then you keep looking and you find somebody else who does. The one thing that our family found challenging was we were interested, my husband and I, in teaching in an international school situation. So an American school abroad, or a British or Canadian or Australian school abroad, in English, in our subjects. And an important component, this was when Evan was younger, before we went to Hawaii, was that it had to have educational supports in place for my son. Uh, he didn't need a lot, but he needed something. This is when he was in second and third grade. And that was very difficult to find an American school abroad that had systems in place for a child that also had open positions for a music teacher and a theology teacher. I think our niche was just way too small. So niche -y. Yeah, and so that's when we started looking at Hawaii as a particular. We, it had a lot of the components, really different, huge numbers of different kinds of people and experiences and music and things to do and... That became what we settled on because we were not able to find an international school. So now, now that he's older and he's continued to mature and develop, that might be different than how I've, I couldn't find it when he was younger. So that did keep us from going international, it kept us more in the American system. But what about even just people with kids in general? The decision to decide to move your kid away from their friends and stuff is, I would think, hard anyway at least from me as a person who was moved as a kid and had a really hard time with it. I sometimes wonder like, how can you make that decision for your children and uproot them so much? And I think with this latest move that you did from uh, the Seattle area to Palm Desert, Evan really had established probably the biggest, strongest group of friends that he had had in his life, wouldn't you say? Or no? Well, I would say he knew everyone 
he is a very outgoing, friendly person, but he didn't have any deep friendship connections with anyone. So it's been interesting to me. He really likes being able to say, oh, hey, how's it going? And name people's names and give high fives and this or that. But everyone's relationship with him or his with them was more superficial. So he could still go down and meet a group of friends at the pizza parlor, but there was 15 of them instead of having like one really good friend. So what I think is interesting is his best friend is still uh, a really good friend that he made in Hawaii. And they still send little social media things back and forth to each other and little movies on their iPhones and they write to each other. That's still who he considers one of his best friends, even though we were only there temporarily and we weren't sure he was going to meet anyone (laughs) when we were there. And then here in Palm Desert, instead of knowing everyone, he knows like four people, but he meets those people at various places. He's just more socially connected to individuals. So he's missing the broad groupings of knowing everybody in his class, but he is more connected sort of one-on-one. And that kind of over a life experience of being able to cultivate both of those kinds of relationships for when you're on the autism spectrum, I think has been valuable to him. He is also, as I said before, which is a really important component of this whole topic, a very kind of easygoing, happy person. (laughs) And so I think that plays a major role in his attitude about how he's approaching it. And kids in general, I think if they feel loved and safe and supported, even if they're upset, they can sort of make the most of their situation in most situations. At least I'll just speak for my family. They've been able to make the most of the situation and kind of move on. Now, if you ask them now, I think one of you asked them the other day, do you like Palm? They're like, yeah, I'm so glad we moved here, you know, and they probably didn't feel that way when we first came. I know when we moved to Seattle, I didn't want to go, but it was probably one of the best things that we did. I was a junior in high school when we met, when we moved and I just thought, can't you just squeeze it out for two more years? And then when I graduate, then you can go. But it was probably one of the best moves for me as an individual person in my development. Yeah, well, that was a move from Brainerd, Minnesota, which is a smaller town, to uh, a big city. Did you have a question for Dana about that, Sarah? Not well. I don't know if it's about that, but I had a question about for both of you actually. I'm curious. I watch both of you sort of struggle to make really good friendships as adults. I was actually yay happy to meet russ last night dana because uh, dana has a friend both of you (laughs) both of you have friends that you've had like since high school but you struggle to kind of make new friends it seems like watching from the outside compared like and i have a really solid group of girlfriends that i'm really lucky to have so i'm just curious if you think that has to do with moving so much or is it just a skill that you forget how to do (laughs) or or what dana (laughs) For me, it's more of a, I'm happy at home. So I had really good friends at the job that I had in Seattle for 10 years. That's kind of where my friends were, where my teaching colleagues there, that you spend a lot of time together and we had a shared lunch and things like that. And so you get to know those people. So my need for friendship interaction was also taken care of at work. And when I came home, I just wanted to be with my kids and be with my husband. We lived in the same town as our parents and we would see them and... So I am also an introvert, even though my job is very extroverted. So when I come home, I just want to kind of be at home. I don't want to spend hours in awkward conversation with strangers. I don't know, you know, (laughs) trying to cultivate friendships. I just don't have a need in my personal body to do that. I get filled by the work with students and my colleagues and my family. I remember you saying once, I think we were in a, we were in a Starbucks somewhere in Seattle and I watched you have this 
really awkward conversation with another human being. And I remember you turning to me going, I just don't know how to have adult conversation anymore. I don't know how to, I'm like, how could you ever make a friend if that's what you start with? Like that was the most awkward interaction I've ever watched. What'd you start with? I'm so glad thousands of people know that now. It's because I'm sure that was when I had a toddler at home and I was probably losing my mind from sleep deprivation and baby talk. But other than that, I am very awkward in social situations. Ridiculously so. I didn't used to be when I was young. But like so as your younger sister like I was always quiet and somewhat shy when we were younger and I remember like being like it's okay as long as I go and mom makes me go talk to these strangers as long as I'm standing with Dana she'll do all the talking and I don't have to say anything and I would sort of half hide behind you and then I'm like sitting here in this coffee shop 30 years later going who are you (laughs) like this is not the sister I used to hide behind (laughs) like I would also say that Having a special needs child and then having my first marriage go through a really rough patch and we ended up getting divorced, I was like super pulled in when Evan was young. And so then coming back out of that, I don't know. I don't know. Getting remarried, or I, I am, as you can tell right now, <laughs> struggle with words and awkwardness. So I use up all my energy in the classroom. <laughs> Although my students would say I was awkward too, but anyway. <laughs> I often also wondered with the two of you if it was, well, because when you have sisters, you already have built-in friends that are girls. So you don't, I always wondered if it's like, well, maybe they just have each other in the same city sometimes, or they can always just call me. You don't really need to build other friendships. And I don't know if because I moved away from everybody really young, I had to figure out a whole new support system because I couldn't just call up my family. I could call you, but it's not like you'd run over and help me change a tire or something. So... Hmm. And you guys always had family nearby, so you never really had to venture out too much to make friends. So I could never tell if it was like that or if it was because you're moving a lot, so why invest in people or what? I think that your perception of me is wrong. I no, actually I actually do, yeah, like the vast majority of people that I hang out with on a regular basis are people I've met with in the last mm-hmm. five or six years. Only friends I ever hear you talk about are the friends that you've had forever, like Tiffany. Yeah, yeah. well, I know. I do have this like deep base of like the long-term people but if I was living in Seattle on a on a week-to-week basis the vast majority of the friends I'm hanging out with are new and then the high school people all get together whenever possible but that's usually once every month or something like that so like who would you call if life went really awry right now or you really needed help with something or you got sick in San Francisco like do you have people you call and that would come and in San Francisco bring you casseroles or take you to the hospital in a pinch or you know Derek (laughs) outside of your husband assuming he's busy I think that San Francisco is an outlier for me and we've talked about this a little bit on the show like I have three or four people in San Francisco that I would consider friends of mine but in general I think I've pulled in a lot in the San Francisco period in part because everybody I'm working with is in Seattle or in Rome and so I do talk to people a lot during the day I just talk to people through Skype or on the phone and then I don't know I just am in a very insular period of life where I'm trying to figure out what I want to be doing next I'm working on writing a lot which is like super interior so sometimes it's hard to be very exterior after that and I also think I'm not sure that I want to stay there. I'm not sure that it's affordable. It's kind of pushing the limits of for Derek and me. So it doesn't feel like a long-term place. So I think that that has also meant that I think of it as temporary. And I'm really trying to focus on the writing and the radio stuff 
in this temporary period when I am more alone, if that makes sense. <laughs> so when I don't have people who want to hang out on a regular basis. Well, I think the world is missing out. You guys are both great people. Ah, a lot to offer your friends. <laughs> I'm totally open to new friends. Call up my sisters and become friends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want too many friends. I, who has time? I can like, I have two sets of friends in Palm Desert that are great friends and they both live in my neighborhood and we see them weekly. And then I have an old high school friend that also just moved down here with her family and I can barely keep up those social relationships while working full time and having kids. So that's good for, I'm good. <laughs> Plus I really like my husband. So we have fun together too. Nobody write to Dana. Nobody. Don't call Dana. Yeah. <laughs> Dana. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm totally open to new friends and I, I'm, what I'm really most excited about right now when it comes to friendships is just because I have been working on my own for so long is I'm interested mostly in working collaborations. So when we were home for Christmas from the holidays, people kept asking me, who are you looking forward to seeing the most? And one, I know in the holidays, I don't even know who's going to be around. <laughs> the vast majority of my old childhood friends are going to be away for the holiday. But the people I was looking forward to seeing the most are the people that I creatively work with or might one day creatively work with because I like talking about radio and I like talking about writing and I like hashing, hanging out with a bunch of old journalists laughing about stupid stuff that's going on in Seattle with the city council or the transportation or whatever. I find that kind of stuff really fun after not doing it for a while. So here's the question I'd put to your listeners. Is it harder? I am curious. Like, is it, this is something I've always wondered about with you guys. Obviously, this is why I'm asking. But I'm curious if people think it's harder to make friends in the city. And here's my outside observation. Even though I now live in a bigger city, 50,000 people, but it's still pretty small. And you still run into people you know, or at least have seen everywhere you go. Whereas in the city, unless you know the people in your neighborhood, you don't really run across the same people again and again so that at least familiarity would make you start to say hello to each other or crack a joke in the coffee line or like whatever. And does that make it harder? Because like when you're a kid, it's easy to make friends. You go to the school with the same people. You see them all the time, every day, or at work, easy to make friends. You see the same people every day. I was always curious if it would be really a lot harder to make friends in the city when you never see the same people over and over. I think you actually do see the same people over and over. But I, I think it's harder to make friends if you work from home. I think it's a lot about attitude. If you're in a place of life where making friends sounds exhausting and sounds like a, something you're not interested in at all or when you're just exhausted because you have young children what you really want to do is sleep or things like that or you just want to read a book or <laughs> talk to your husband for two seconds without being interrupted there's certain people like me that that's more valuable right? so i think it's attitude i think if you worked from home and you loved meeting people like my daughter who I've barely mentioned, she's eight, and she would talk to anyone at any point in time ever. So if she worked at home, she would make friends with whoever in the coffee line, although she doesn't drink coffee as an eight-year-old. So I think a lot of it has to do with attitude. I don't really want to make a whole bunch of friends. So I don't, that's why I'm awkward, and I don't, I don't have a burning need that I really wish I had more friends. I just, I'm happy with the people that I'm friends with. And if I make more friends, awesome. That's great. Well, and I've realized from moving around as much as I have in the last six years, is it also depends on the character of the city. So it's going to be harder for people to make friends in Seattle. It's going to be harder for people to make friends in San Francisco. I think that's true. People are more guarded. 
They are closer together, so they also need to find a way to make their own personal space. Seattle has a disadvantage in the sense that the weather sucks the majority of the time, so people Usually stay like, inside a lot more than they would uh, in other places. Or if you're walking on the street, you're just trying not to slip and fall. You're like you're looking at your feet with your hood over your head and holding an umbrella, trying to make it to wherever you're going without having a face full of water. Yeah, whereas if you're in the south of the United States, at least, a lot of the southern states, you're going to find people are more open, they're more well welcoming they're more friendly in general it's just like the character of the place mm -hmm. so each city carries its own type of people too or the type of people that are drawn to that place have develop a different kind of attitude i mean seattle is a very literary town so and it's a very rainy town so i think that those people in general are going to want to be inside reading <laughs> a little bit more than say if you're in new orleans and you're wanting to march in a parade. It's just two different types of personalities that are drawn there. I would add that the activities that our family did when we lived in Seattle, and one of the reasons that we moved down here or into Hawaii was to be outside more. And we had easy friends in Hawaii, and I, we have easy friends here that are our neighbors because everyone's just outside, and you end up chatting with them, and you get to know your neighbors, and, oh, will you watch my cats for the weekend? Of course, you know, and you get... You're just outside with each other. Oh, we're barbecuing. Just, can you guys come over? Yeah, sure, we'll come over. So... It's very outside, whereas in Seattle, when we were living in an apartment, it's raining all the time. You just you get in your car, you go to where you're going, you get out of your car. I mean, for our family, we were not major adventurers when it was raining. And so we just weren't outside encountering people. And so being outside when it's sunny, you just take a walk and you're chatting with others. It's pleasant outside. No one's trying to get out of the poor weather. You, Well, unless it's in the summer and it's 120. But other than that, yeah, <laughs> you're able to chat. Yeah. And I do think that in certain places, people don't want to know their neighbors. There can be making friend fatigue, too. I think that that happens with people who move a lot, too. It's, it's hard to start, o I mean, geez. To start over well, again I'm and again. I'm the biggest introvert in the family, I think. And I sometimes, especially now that I married into a family with children, so I do not have my own children. So I could see the point of maybe if I was surrounded by toddlers, I'd be exhausted. But that would be why I'd want a friend. So I'd be like, I'm going to coffee with my friend, honey. Kids are with you, you know. So even now I, I use my friends sort of as an escape because I'd rather sit and talk with one-on-one -on -one with a friend than be around the chaos sometimes of a busy house. I mean, personally, I love the possibility that the best person, you haven't met them yet, you know? Yeah. I love that, personally. I go through periods of fatigue, certainly. But I do, I'm totally open to meeting the next best friend. I will say I really admire the way both of you have... I mean, I've got high school friends, too, that I occasionally say hi to, but I never see them. So, and if you're listening, hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you both have not only managed to retain your high school friends or your middle school friends in Tiffany's case, but somehow still managed to make that friendship work despite how your lives may have diverged. Like a lot of times my best friends I've ever had, they had kids and I didn't and you just kind of drift apart and you don't really have as much in common anymore. And so you just kind of do your thing and you're happy to hear what they're up to and maybe catch up over coffee once every 10 years. But for the most part, somehow you've retained friendships for decades and still they're still supportive and relevant now, even though you haven't gone through every life stage together, which I find impressive. Thanks. My main point is being... Someone with husband and kids is don't overthink it. For heaven's sake, we could just been talking for an hour about how much you could like psychoanalyze every decision that you make. I think you just, if you're interested in going, you look at a bunch of parameters that are practical and logical. And if those are taken care of, then go for it. You can always go back. 
I don't know, maybe that sounds like I'm idiotic or not thinking it through, but it's, I think it'll, well, in general, well, I think your point is that you are thinking it through. Think it through. I guess I do think it through and then we, we do it, you know, and everything's been fine so far and maybe we're super lucky and I should knock on wood somewhere, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just cause you didn't end up living in Hawaii for the rest of your life doesn't mean that the Hawaii experience was somehow a failure, right? Well, okay. Well, <laughs> And let's leave it there. Sure. Should we leave it there? Let's leave it there. Let's all tell embarrassing stories of when we were children. Just Everybody's like, please do that. We've been waiting the whole time. <laughs> let's tell embarrassing stories about Katie. That's what you really want to know. <laughs> you can tell an embarrassing story if you want. Uh, let me think of one. For those of you who donate $50 to the Bittersweet Life, <laughs> we really need your financial support. I will send you embarrassing stories about me. No, you can tell an embarrassing story if you want. Can you think of one? Well, I would just, I don't, this is not an embarrassing story. It just speaks to Katie's a sense of adventure is that you always wanted to do stuff on your own. I can do it. Let me just walk home from church by myself three miles when I'm eight years old. And why mom and dad said yes, I don't know, but I would never do that now. But you were just, you were just like, of course I can do it. Yes, I know the way. It'll be fine. You always say, it'll be fine. I'm just going to go. And I always sort of ad admired that about your adventuring spirit. I think that soldiers on now. You're also really good at asking questions and getting people to talk about interesting things because I haven't talked this much in a really long time. So, <laughs> Sarah? Sometimes your stubbornness can put your life in danger too, however. That same walk home from church that Dana's referencing. The rest of us were lazy bones and we wanted to ride home. So Katie was walking home by herself and we drove up she was just stepping off the bridge across the Mississippi River. She really was only about four blocks away from home. And we pull up in the car, and as she's stepping off the bridge, this man comes out behind her from underneath the bridge, kind of probably homeless, but looks a little sinister in the way he's crowding her space. But she didn't happen to notice him. And so I remember us pulling the car over, and Dana and I were in the back seat, and Dad and, car, Dad and Dad and Mom are like, get in. I want to go all the way. I'm almost there. Get in the car right now. Like, Dad, I'm only just a couple blocks away. Let me do it. And like, meanwhile, he's looming closer and closer. And Dana and I are in the backside like, get in, get in. You know, and she gets in the car and she's, why did you make me get in? We're like, turn around. She's like, oh, who's that? Da -da -da. He's at the car window. I'm like, uh, yeah. I don't know if we just saved your life or if he was a innocent man worried about the young daughter walking home by herself, but uh, it was scary. Either way, the fact that he just sort of loomed about while all this is screaming is going on. He wasn't looming. I think the thing that was most concerning about him was just how close he was. His proximity to your body was like less than a foot. And he was, you know, I think of him as five and a half or six feet tall. And you were a little, little I mean, you're already tiny now as an adult. So as an eight year old, you were very tiny. So... Yeah, we were just concerned about why is this, where did he come from and why is he so close to you? And is he going to get in the car with her if I open this door? Because I was the closest one. <laughs> yeah, well, like I like to tell Derek, I might be a little bit small, but I'm big inside. <laughs> small but mighty. And we should leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Dana Zala. Go travel the world. I'm Sarah Johnson. Yes. Whoop to small time with Tina. Yeah. Ditto. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening if you're telling a friend about the show. And thank you for your support financially. We can't wait to write you a handwritten thank you note to show you how much it means to us. You are spreading the word and supporting the show financially directly affects whether or not this program continues. So if you love it, support it. 
Find a donate link at thebittersweetlife.net or in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.